You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Good morning, Discovering Discos. Today, we discover how Costco is currently selling one of the world's rarest wines, how Victoria and David Beckham expanded their backyard family for the holidays, and how avocados are killing Mexico rainforests. Welcome to Discover Ag, where food meets pop culture. We're your hosts, Natalie and Tara, a millennial cattle rancher and a dairy farmer. And every Thursday, we go beyond the headlines to discover what's new in the world of food. And I just want to say, Happy New Year. We're here. We made it. This is our first podcast of 2024. Can you believe we've been podcasting for like two years-ish, like 2022, 2023, and now we're going into 2024? It is surreal to look back on. It's funny because I remember when we talked about starting the podcast, you had wanted to batch the podcast and do it like in seasons and take a ton of time off. And here we are. I don't think we've missed a week yet. We are very like build our ship at sea, though. So I'm not surprised that I went in saying something and then like literally ended up doing something completely different. But on an unrelated note, I will say I'm so happy to be back in a routine. Like I am so happy this Tuesday morning we are podcasting. I like know what's going to happen this week. The girls and I are starting homeschool tomorrow. Like I just am so ready for it to not be the holidays. We are out of the trenches of that weird two weeks of the holidays where people get lost. We don't know what happened to them. You can't find them. We, we have come out of the holiday hole and we're back to reality, essentially. Do you like the New Year's? I know there are like New Year's people and not New Year's people. Do you like the New Year's? I don't know. I think I'm like maybe indifferent about it. Like I'm excited for like, I guess, quote unquote, a fresh start. But I actually was going to do an Instagram post today where I'm like, I don't have a word of the year. I don't have a goal list. Like I do feel like with the 75 hard or 75 mas menos, as we've been calling it, I feel like I kind of like set some intentions in November. And now I'm just like, I'm glad to be back in our routine to like continue doing those. So I don't know. Are you? I feel like you're a big New Year's. You're like ready to take on. I love it. But I love change, which I don't think is maybe a common thing for a lot of people. I think a lot of people are like afraid of change, intimidated by change, like don't want change. And I welcome change. Like I thrive in change. And so having a holiday or a time period where it's like intentionally set to create change, it, it, I don't know, it feeds me. I feel like this year was the perfect new year for you. I saw a meme online that was like, New Year's is starting on a Monday. She's ready. Like 2024, she's ready to rock and roll, like just kicking off the year. She means business this year. 2024 is a business girly. Uh, Maddie says she is not a goals person, but she loves the idea of a new start, clean slate. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that too. Well, cheers to the new year. I hope everyone is settling in nicely into whatever that may look like for you guys, whether it's, you know, tackling big goals or not, just continuing the theme of last year. Yeah. So before we get into it, I want to say if you guys are not signed up for our newsletter, you need to get signed up because I was at a New Year's party with like a small group of friends and not a ton of women were there. And two of the women came out to me and told me how much they love our newsletter. So this is my little plug. Sign up. It's a good one. My sister-in-law even told me she like stars it if she doesn't have time to read it to go back and read it because she loves it so much. So shameless plug, sign up for our newsletter in our show notes. I do think that's one of my favorite things I'm working on right now. I am the one that's in charge of our newsletter. So Tara will send me her ideas and then I like put them into our email database. And it's one of my favorite things to sit down and create. I don't know. I just feel like it connects us with you guys in a way that's different than the podcast. And I do think like Tara said, there's a ton of value. So I am also pretty proud of it. I will, you know, second Tara in our shameless plug, you guys absolutely need to, if you do something for yourself in 2024, 
Let it be the Club Discover newsletter. All right. We want to thank our sponsor today, Case IH. As always, Case IH isn't just built by farmers. It's sold, supported, and serviced by them too. The men and women at your local Case IH dealerships understand what it takes to overcome the challenges of farming because they do it every day just like you, which means they're the right people to help you find the equipment you need. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to learn more. Case IH is built by farmers and we are uploading content like crazy about Case right now. So if you want to see some of their tractors in action, head over to Instagram or our Facebook page. My personal one, not Discover. All right, you guys diving into the first article to discover of the new year. It's so fun. It's just not the new year. Okay. Uh, headline one, Costco is selling one of the rarest wines in the world at a huge discount. Costco is known to stock a seriously spectacular deal. And this week, one of the latest surprise finds at Costco made waves in the subreddit Costco Alcohol after a Redditor posted a photo taken in the Newark, California Costco with the caption, had to make sure I was seen correctly. What they were referring to was a $3,699.99 price tag next to a bottle of Screaming Eagle Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. While that sounds like several rent or mortgage payments to most of us and the same amount one could score 2,466 hot dogs at the food court, it's actually a bargain price and a screaming deal. Screaming deal for a $4,000 bottle of dollar bottle of wine, but it is a screaming deal because that is almost $1,000 less than it usually is. So if you are buying this from their website, the average price is $4,700. So I mean, all things considered, what is that like a 25% decrease on the price? So I mean, it's, it's a great sale if you're looking for a $4,000 bottle of wine. That's not even the major selling point of looking at numbers for this bottle. So I got down a little track of wine auctions. Let me tell you guys, sommeliers, you guys are crazy people. Also, sommelier is a fun word. But I was reading this article about wine auctions and a bottle of Screaming Eagle sold at auction for $500,000. It's actually the second world's most second expensive Cabernet-based wine produced in the last 61 years. First was a French wine, which I think it's pretty cool that U.S. represented. But what's really crazy I found when I was like comparing these top two, the French wine and then this Screaming Eagle from California, the French top wine was in 1945 and the Screaming Eagle was 1992, which I think that's crazy. Like what was going on in the year 1992? Why is this bottle so important? Like why is someone spending $500,000 on this auctioned bottle from 1992? And why is someone spending $5,000 on a bottle today? It's crazy. It is really crazy. But I think what I'm like struggling with in this article is, okay, I know there are people who are committed to their wine. Like I actually fully get that. And everyone spends money on different things. Some people spend it on a handbag. You know, some people spend it on a bottle of wine. My question is, why did this brand team up with Costco? Like, what was the goal? Like, in my mind, those people that are spending $500,000 on a bottle of wine, heck, the people spending $4,000 on a bottle of wine are not the people that are bargain hunting at Costco. So, like, what was going on? And, like, it definitely wasn't a supply and demand, which we can get into. Like, people are lined up, waitlist long, decades long waitlist to get this bottle of wine. So, why sell it at Costco for $1,000 less? Okay. So two things. I did find one Screaming Eagle statement. I just love Screaming Eagle. Like that doesn't really shout like high High and winery to me. Yeah. But here we go. The Screaming Eagle statement informed an outlet that Costco has never been one of the winery's clients. 
it is their understanding that they obtained the bottles through a wine auction. So that is how it ended up in Costco because I completely agree. I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about marketing and knowing your audience and like why are high-end brands trying to change and, you know, meet lower level or conform to like get in different people. Like you said, if you know your audience and it's a high-end person that can afford $5,000 a bottle of wine, like why would you be tapping into the Costco market? Sounds like it was unintentional. So I think Screaming Eagle is maybe a little even, I don't know, upset that it ended up there. But going back to one of the things you just said, one of the interesting things, because I kept trying to find out what was so unique about Screaming Eagle. And all I could find was quotes like, Screaming Eagle stands out among cult California wines and it's held in great regard, but like nowhere said why. And one of the things that I think maybe they created their own demand, like you said, with that wait list, because you do have to get on a wait list to buy. If you go to their website, one of, there's like four options and one of them is wait list. And once you're waitlisted, there's no information. Like it could be one year, it could be 10 years. Like it's this magical hole you go into and you just wait to be told like you have finally been chosen and you get a bottle of Screaming Eagle. Yeah, the brand itself says it cannot quote, this is a quote, cannot give a firm time frame for how long the waitlist extends, but some fans claim that they were in purchase purgatory on that list for anywhere from over a decade before being able to shop. And they only ship to certain states. So you have to like know what's going on to get a bit of this wine. But there is a couple stores in California that still have this wine available in their Costco's. So if you're in California, there is supposedly some left in Newark, Redwood City, Foster City, Santa Clara, Daneville, uh, San Jose. I think that's all of them. They still had bottles in stock. Yeah, this is definitely um, going to make any California listeners who are also sommeliers a little bit more excited than anyone else across the U.S. Because I feel like we're at a major disadvantage. We'll probably never get our get our hands on a bottle of Screaming Eagle. You know, I started with saying like I don't understand why Costco did this, but like the article talked about how they have been selling out. Like this was like these are the only stores with it left. So like well, jump in now. Well, sure. If you knew what was going on, I'm just even surprised that that redditor was able to recognize and stop, you know, like if you did know what was going on, I'm sure you did stop your Costco cart in its tracks and was like, hold up, what do we got here? Like, this is really crazy. And I can see why it ended up in that Reddit, which if you are a Costco shopper and you like your alcohol, that Reddit seems like an amazing place to be because people are always posting um, deals. And I didn't even know that existed. My eyes were opened up to a ton of things with this article. I know Reddit's such a weird place. I'm not super into Reddit. Lately, I've been looking for book recommendations on Reddit and it's pretty fire. Like they're pretty good. So like you said, I was like, if you are into certain things, I feel like Reddit is the place to be to like figure out like people are exchanging information. They are giving all the details. Nobody's holding back on their comment section over there. Like Mm -mm. a lot going on on Reddit. So I if you're into the Costco alcohols, Costco, what it was, it was like Costco underscore alcohol is the Reddit thread to be on. Mm-hmm. I have to ask, are you a Costco shopper or a Sam's Club shopper? Like, what are you? Mm, yeah, just uh, kick me while I'm down, Tara. So I used to be a Costco shopper back in Montana when I had a Costco near me. I would go every Monday morning because I worked four tens at um, the clinic, the hospital. And so I had every Monday off. And so I would go right when it opened up at 10 o'clock and there would be like me and four other people. And it was the most peaceful shopping experience of my existence. And then I moved to the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and I am three hours from a Costco. So I'm sad to report that I am no longer a Costco shopper. 
We, I was always a Sam's Club because that's all we had in Lubbock, which is still two hours from me. But when Lubbock got Costco, I was so excited. Like, I know there are people that are like different stands for each of those. I am definitely in the Costco club. Like, I love Costco. Yeah, I can't imagine why someone wouldn't like Costco. Like, I would be interested to hear that debate of why you are Sam's Club or something else over Costco. Because I do think Costco kind of reigns. Like, they're kind of the queen. I always think to myself when people tell me they don't go to Costco, I'm like, where do you buy stuff at? Like, where do you get? What are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) I feel like a large portion of my family budget goes to me going to Costco to buy things in bulk. Yeah. I will say, if you cannot afford the $4,000 bottle of wine, don't forget that we support Enchantment Vineyards over here. And you can click on the link in our show notes, enter code DISCOVER20 to save you 20% off of your wine. And I do. I don't remember the exact thing Megan stated when we interviewed her in our um, mini interview a couple episodes back. But I do remember she said that they have won awards world based, so not just here in the U.S. So kind of going back to Screaming Eagle representing, you know, against a French wine, Enchantment Vineyards also I think has gone up against worldwide wines and come out kind of on top. So. Code Discover 20. I said I was going last week and I went and look at my cute new cup. It's my new, it's a Stanley sized. So it's going to be my three a day drink. And it's so cute from Enchantment. I love their swag. All right. Before Natalie introduces our next article, I want to thank a sponsor. This is Armra. We have talked about Armra so many times, but especially in these winter months, I am absolutely loving it for boosting my immune system. It strengthens immunity, improves gut health, improves skin and hair. So what is it? Colostrum, it's a bovine colostrum, contains all the nutrients we need to thrive. Armra is a proprietary concentration of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 living bioactive nutrients that rebuilds the barriers of your body and fuels cellular health health for a host of research-backed benefits. And I will say, I feel like when we talk about this, I feel like people think we are talking to the girlies, but somehow I have ended up down some Armra rabbit holes of guys sharing how much it's improved their hair. So guys, if you are looking to boost some hair growth, do not sleep on Armra. Definitely try it out. It's unlike any other product on the market. And we have worked out a special offer for our audience for you guys to receive 15% off your order. So go to tryarmra.com forward slash discover, or you can enter the code discover to get 15% off your first order. That's tryarmra, T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash discover. All right, you guys, diving into the second headline to discover this week, titled Victoria Beckham Gifts Husband David Beckham Chickens for Christmas, saying they're a bit camera shy. So this is actually a Us Weekly article, but there is also a reel posted on Victoria's Instagram page that is probably trending more (laughs) than the Us article. When I saw this reel, I sent it to immediately. We already had our articles picked out for this week, and I was like, no. We have to cover this. I'm so excited about it. It is like huge on Instagram. And since then, like we picked this out, like what, over the weekend. And since then, she has posted. Also, Victoria Beckham is like posting the most on Instagram. It's like a lot. But she she has a hard post about the rooster. Like they are committed to these chickens and they are giving us like every detail. They She has tons of stories about like their backyard chicken adventures. So if you want to see it, maybe skip the actual article and go straight to the Instagram page. Were you shocked to see that the Beckhams had adopted chickens? 
No, I wasn't because I mean, I guess a part of me was, but that's kind of what I wanted to bring up is like, how do we feel about like the celebrity trend of like, quote unquote, kind of getting into agriculture? I mean, I know it's not production ag, like, so it's like a hobby farm, obviously, but I don't know. I feel like it's like the whole Yellowstone thing. Like, I'm so curious how you think, what you think about it. Oh, I love it. And I was not shocked either. And I like how we're talking like we know them. Like, were you shocked that, you know, Vicky and, and D got chickens? Did you see that? Um, but no, just based off of what little information I have about them, um, like especially after walking the, watching the docuseries. And then we covered, I don't know, a couple episodes back about how that one of their sons is really into cooking. I do think that they give off the vibes of being kind of centered, definitely around family and with how much I think David enjoys cooking and probably like the retirement and the age they're settling into, I just totally see them going down the like, you know, producing their own food. Like I wouldn't be surprised if by summer Victoria is like Instagramming a garden and talking about like canning and things like I just really see that for their family. And I actually feel like it's kind of authentic to them. Yeah, like I could see her with like a little sourdough living on the counter, you know, starting to bake the bread. Like, I don't know. I think after watching their documentary, I, I do feel like I know them. And that was one of the biggest things, though, in the comment section is people wanting a reality TV show from them to like see mm -hmm. what their life is like, see all of these things. But one of the things that got me wondering is like thinking about Yellowstone, sometimes ag can be so critical when ag is on the big stage. Like people within the agriculture community can be really critical. And I really hope that they're not like I was scrolling through the comment section and was like, I hope there's not a chicken farmer that like has something bad to say, because I think it's like so positive and amazing. And it's like cool to see people like embracing that side of, I don't know, like culinary experiences. I definitely agree. And I think food and farming, unfortunately, even though it's like so centered to everyone's daily lives, it can come off like boring and not interesting. And I know that's one of our main missions is to like make ag like fun and cool. And that's like why we meld pop culture with food on this podcast. And so I do think when we have opportunities like this as the ag community, seeing, you know, people like Victoria Beckham put, you know, chickens, the idea of having backyard chickens and being like essentially the idea of being reconnected to your food on such a big platform like that. You're right. I think if they're like any comments you want to hold back about like instructions or what they did wrong or what they should be doing, um, like essentially unsolicited advice. Um, I do hope we show up and I'm like supportive of, of this movement. Uh, speaking of comments on the reel, there were some hilarious top comments, which I just want to take a second to read because they made me laugh out loud. One of them was, imagine being a chicken and not understanding the fact that you have been adopted into the Beckham family. <laughs> I literally have that one quoted to read here because I laughed so hard. And obviously there's so many jokes about like hens and cocks and she's like Victoria is totally playing into that too. We can read some of her captions. But I also liked um, the Peckham family. <laughs> there was Peck it like Beckham, <laughs> which I thought was good. And then there was a commenter who said they had chickens of their own. And one of them was named Victoria Peckham, Hennifer Lopez, Margaret Hatcher, and Princess Lair. And I got to give it to them because those are very punny. And I do think that's one of the fun things about having chickens is people always come up with like super amazing, fun names. And I love it. Yeah, one of Victoria Beckham's um, ca captions was, what a cock. And then like even her mm -hmm. videos, she's like getting a video of the hens. And she's like, there's a massive cock in there too. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> you have to like envision her saying it with her British accent, which makes, if you're American, I feel like when people talk with a British accent, it makes everything better and funnier and like more intense. 
Um, but I also kept being like, I want to see like uh, a whole play on like farmer spice, like instead of sporty spice. Now, oh, that's funny. Spice, I feel like Victoria Beckham is now mm-hmm. farmer spice. Would you ever get chickens? Have you ever had chicken? I've never had chickens. We were supposed to get chickens this summer of COVID, which was, I know everyone was getting chickens then, but it was kind of random. And then something fell through. It didn't work out. I don't remember exactly what happened. And we didn't end up getting them. And I don't know. I I don't know. We eat a lot of eggs, so I probably would for the eggs. But I don't eat a lot of chicken, but I guess I would just get laying hens. So when Luke and I first got married, it was shortly after... Maybe actually after Jax was born. I feel like I did have a baby. So I think Jax had been born. I had been talking to Luke about getting chickens and telling him I'd wanting chickens. And Luke just kind of like I was assuming one in in one ear out the other. But then randomly he came home one day with chickens. <laughs> so we had chickens and we didn't have the structure for that infrastructure for them, which if you own chickens, you're already like, oh, no, that did not go well. Um, and it did not go well. They didn't last long out here in the... Um, we just had them in like one of our barns in a tub and it didn't go well. I won't get into it. And so I've never uh, gone back to chicken since just because I feel like my time has gotten even more monopolized. But I do think here in the next, I would say like five years, I bet I get chickens. I just want the boys to be old enough that that's their chore that they can help. I see it in our very near future as well, especially with like Daniel and I being like leaning into the kind of carnivore diet. We do eat a lot of eggs during the week. So it would be nice to have like eggs coming in. And then I mean, we're homeschooling. I've got the sourdough on the counter. Like I just feel like it's the next logical step for me is to um, add chickens to the bunch. So I see that in our backyard future very soon. So while I was reading this Us Weekly article, I also fell into the hole of other celebs with chickens that was a different U.S. Weekly article, and there were some surprising names on there. So there were common ones, like some people may know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. They had talked about this, I think, in maybe like their Oprah interview, or maybe they even alluded to in their documentary. I know they've like kind of publicly talked about having chickens. Um, Chip and Joanna Gaines were mentioned, which I think everyone's probably not surprised by. But there was Hillary Duff was on there and she has like an herb garden too. So that kind of shocked me. She's been like a huge supporter of like real cow's milk. Like, I don't know. I, for some reason that tracks for me. Oh, interesting. Okay. Tiffany Thiessen was on there. I don't know who that is. Tori Spelling. Tiffany Amber, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, um, Stay by the Bell. Oh, yeah. What's her name on there? What's her name on there? Kelly. Kelly Kelly Kapowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She had um Julia Roberts, Tori Spelling, Lady Gaga. That one which, surprises me. Julia Roberts does not surprise me. She like lives in Taos, New Mexico. That, that seems, but Lady Gaga's weird. Yeah, Julia tracked for me too. But Lady Gaga, I will say this Us Weekly article was pulling from like years back. Like Lady Gaga's quote talking about chickens was from 2016. So it'd be interesting to see if she if still, still actually have had them. But I thought it was interesting it was 2016 because she was kind of ahead of her time. Like, as always, Lady Gaga was a trendsetter getting chickens before, you know, chickens, chickens were trending. Cool. Uh, there was, yep, there was also Kristen Cavallari, which I feel like that tracks with how much she's into cooking. And then Nicole Richie. Mm, yeah, those ones make sense. Well, and um, I feel like Kristen Cavallari, when she was married to Jay, he was really into him. Didn't he have like a whole bit on his Instagram? Like it was like a whole thing for him. Like he would go out and check the chickens. Yes. And there was like this thing that he was like now a farmer. And I, that... I wonder if she still has chickens now that they're divorced or if he got the chickens in the divorce. 
<laughs> That'd be funny. Like what was there? Um, did they have a, what's that called when you, a prenup, a chicken prenup? Um, but no, he's actually super into, that's why for me, it felt very authentic for them too. Cause he's super into hunting. He spends a lot of time actually in Montana and I think they're just like naturally into the outdoor kind of lifestyle together. And I think she probably maintained that separate of Jay because like I said, she, I mean, she's so into cooking. She has like what, three cookbooks now. And a lot of it is based around like sourcing local, supporting small. And so I could see her like keeping the chickens in the divorce. She probably went, you know, fought hard for those chickens. I'd like to think so. Maybe they split them evenly. Maybe they get them every other mm-hmm. weekend. Who knows? <laughs> You get the eggs from Monday through Thursday. I get the eggs from Friday to Sunday. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's the best. All right. Now we're going to thank our next sponsor, CrowdHealth. So I know I've said this, but I am so excited for our interview with CrowdHealth. I want you guys to get all the details from them. It's coming out this month. So stay tuned for that. I know we as a family have struggled with health insurance as two self-employed people. And it is so mind-numbingly frustrating dealing with health insurance. Health insurance is confusing and expensive. Claims are denied and that's becoming more and more common. The headache of health insurance is exactly why CrowdHealth was created. It is not health insurance. It's a better way to pay for healthcare through crowdfunding. So stop sending money to big insurance companies who profit off of not paying your bills and check out CrowdHealth. So what does CrowdHealth cost? Well, for an individual, it is $175 a month or it is $575 for a family of four or more. You not only get the CrowdHealth health insurance alternative, but you also get access to a community of people who are willing to help out in the event of emergency. You'll get telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, and so much more. Let CrowdHealth help you with your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $99 per month for your first three months using our code DISCOVER. Go to joincrowdhealth.com and use our code DISCOVER to get signed up. CrowdHealth is not insurance, but you can learn more about it at joincrowdhealth.com. All right, diving into the last and final article to discover this week. Headline, Americans love avocados. It's killing Mexico forests, though. The legal deforestation for avocado crops points to a blood-soaked trade with the United States involving threats, abductions, and killings. So this article is out of the New York Post, and to much to everyone's surprise, contrast to the historical narrative for rainforests being associated with being torn down with things like cattle ranching, gold mining, and palm oil farms, the point of this article was pointing out how Western Mexico, there's a very specific state there, the forests are being depleted by the ferocious U.S. appetite for avocados. And I'll say the article is like rather sinister. Yeah. Also, it's New York Times, not New York Post, just like a side note. Oh, sorry. Did I? I do this all the time. I just, I mean, I literally had New York. Oh, no, I did write Post. <laughs> I was gonna say, I literally had New York Times written down and said Post. So yes, yeah, sorry. It was New York Times. Yeah, it was a crazy article, though. So one thing, Mexico is the top producing grower in the world for avocados. They produce almost 30% of the world's production. So and you as you alluded to, it is in a very specific central western uh, part of Mexico, like on the mainland. And Mexico accounts for nearly 90% of all shipments of avocados to the United States. I was going to say that I think even more astounding than the 30% worldwide is the fact that they are almost 90% for the U.S. Um, eight in 10 avocados in the U.S. come from Mexico. That that actually blew my mind for a second. And here's a really interesting thing I learned from this article that I was not aware of. Before the 1990s, America's primarily consumed avocados during the summer when California harvest was available because that we were not doing import from Mexico. So we had to kind of, I guess, 
you could say like eat more seasonally. We did supplement with imports primarily from Chile, but all of that changed in 1997. The U.S. lifted a ban on Mexico avocados that had been in place since 1914, which is really crazy. So for those 80 years, we had banned Mexico imports. Um, We did it mostly to prevent a range of like what they called weevil scabs and pests. But it essentially wasn't until like the last 40 years that like we started reworking with Mexico again. And honestly, that ban like absolutely, I think, changed consumer habits, probably along with like some marketing around avocado as a superfood, though. Yeah, a great stat is that Americans eat three times as many avocados as they did two decades ago. So just in 2000, we now eat three times as many. It is a $2.7 billion annual trade between Mexico and the United States. Getting into the imports and exports, it was crazy, though. Like the reason we lifted the ban is because we wanted to be able to sell corn to Mexico. And so it was kind of like a trade agreement that was like, okay, fine, we will buy your corn, but you have to buy our avocados. And it is nuts how imports and exports work that way. I agree. I also think the ban being lifted seemed like it was heavily requested by Mexico. Definitely. I think it was like something they really wanted. Which I think is one of the things that kind of, I wouldn't say like confused me about this article, but I just feel like I contemplated it for a long time or was kind of stuck on this idea. I felt like the New York Times was really painting this article like it is the U.S. fault that this is happening in Mexico. We can get into some more of the details if we want, but there were certain instances where they were talking about how like the U.S. should be like verifying what's going on down there. And they quoted like Fresh Del Monte um, and just kind of I felt like I like I've already said really painted this picture that like it's our fault that like this destruction and they talked about water consumption. They also talked about like the um, ethics going on and down in like the Mexico avocado department. They really paint it like it's our fault and we should be monitoring that. And I just don't know for one, if I agree with that. And for two, like how do we possibly do that? I mean, maybe someone has like a very point blank response, like, oh, well, we could easily do, you know, X, Y, and Z, and that would help curb that. But I just kind of feel like they're passing the buck off. And I'm like, I don't know if that's US responsibility to be like, you guys need to do a better job of what's going on in your own Mexico City, than it is like Mexico citizens or Mexico, um, more than citizens, it would be like Mexico um, authorities, government. Yeah, they definitely wanted like someone from USDA to be like going down and inspecting before, which it sounds like there is some of that. But like to go to every single farm and every single area, I don't know. They were definitely blaming us and American companies. But then at the same time, they did make note of like the the fresh company. What was the what I didn't write it down. What company did you just tell me? Fresh Del Monte. Fresh Del Monte said they were like, we have gone out and inspected some things, but we don't always buy directly from the farms. Like there's so many middlemen between all of these different things. I don't know if that makes it like right or wrong, but I'm sure it's not quite as straightforward as this article was like, do better America. Like that was what it it was saying. So I guess, again, painting the picture for listeners that haven't read this article, They're talking about how like south of the border, they quoted satisfying the demand has come at a high cost. The loss of forests, the depletion of aquifers and the spike in violence fueled by criminal games muscling in on the profitable business. Do you think, well, one, I guess, do you think this article, because it's New York Times and I feel like I always have to take a grain of salt about what New York Times posts with agriculture because historically for me, they have gotten it wrong a lot of the times when they talk about like animal agriculture, which I am an expert in. I'm not an expert in what's going on in the avocado industry. So do you think that what they were talking about, especially, I guess, maybe with like the spike and kind of like the, um, I would say the 
corruption. Do you think it's like a grain of salt or do you think it's that bad down there? So it's funny you say that because, again, at that New Year's Eve party I was at, I was talking with someone and I said we were covering an article out of the New York Times and I didn't say it was about avocados. And she goes, oh, my gosh, are you covering the one about dairy? And I was like, no. And then I literally immediately Googled New York Times dairy and like saw. I mean, they have they probably release an article about dairy every three weeks and it is like a slam piece every single week. And I'm sure if I Googled beef, it would be the same. I'm sure like I am sure it would be the same for every industry on some level that they're mad about. And so to like kind of get to your point, I just feel like you do have to take it with a grain of salt. I probably, there's probably corruption like that. I'm I'm not like disagreeing with that at all. But I do think the New York Times paints things as like doom and gloom because there was part of it about like how much employment it has brought, how much economics. Yes, that probably has come with a side of like criminal activities because they were calling them like blood avocados, kind of like you remember the whole like blood diamond, like, thing you know what people refer to that as well um so a play off of that with blood avocados and so i'm sure there is issues but i also i don't know i wish they would have interviewed more local people to give a better perspective of how they felt i mean there was a couple there but again we're very obviously like picking and choosing one thing though that did stand out to me is a lot of the people they chose to interview would not go on record with their name so i was like i feel like if you're doing that you're pretty scared of like what's happening down there I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I just talked in a circle. No, I feel like it actually, um, you talked in a circle about like what I'm feeling too. I think that maybe they put like some frosting or, you know, like a cherry on top of the cake a little bit, but I actually do think it maybe opened my eyes because I hadn't really thought about, which I want to talk about in a second because I feel like the thing I really focused on this was like the Mexico or avocados from Mexico campaign we have here in the US. So knowing how much we buy from like Mexico, I mean, again, eight and 10 avocados in the U.S. are from Mexico, like the campaigns we have. I remember one during the Super Bowl last year. Oh, yeah. The Super Bowl one was huge. It was Mexican avocados and it was like a very popular ad. Yeah. So knowing how like in our faces, Mexico's from or avocados from Mexico is, I think it's kind of crazy that like what is probably going on under the surface that probably almost I would argue a majority of Americans are not aware of. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things about this too is that it has rapidly changed. Like it's not like they've had time, I feel like, to adjust and maybe put things in place. You're talking about a massive shift very, very quickly. Like it was talking about 25,000 acres of avocado orchards are being authorized for export in the United States on lands that were previously forest like less than 10 years ago. So that's, a again, a massive land use shift. And then also in Jalisco, uh, we just got authorization for United States to import avocados from Jalisco, which is the second largest producing avocado producing state. And that only started in 2022. So it literally just happened year before last. Yeah. And like I said at the very beginning, for me, I wonder how much marketing has played into this. It reminds me of last week when we talked about kale and how like one marketing campaign shot kale up as like the number one superfood. Because I read an interesting statistic that um, a survey showed over 70% of American grocery shoppers decided to buy avocados simply because they are a healthy addition to their diets. And so going back to what I said is like kind of one of my new Roman empires, the avocados from Mexico campaign, like I spent time on their website And I just, I can't get over it. Like, I want to know so much information about who was running it, where it is. Like, it looked like the um, home base is actually out of Texas. Um, If you go to their About Us section, they talk about how 
Their story began when thousands of avocado farmers in Mexico realized the goodness growing from the trees needed to be shared with the world. So in 2013, they forged this historic partnership, which it really is. I'll touch on that in a second, where importers partnered with distributors in the U.S. and they made this nonprofit marketing organization. And they said it was the first time in history that two international organizations have came together like that. And I just I honestly cannot stop thinking about this campaign, this website, like where will we see them? I want to know if they're on the Super Bowl again this year. Like, I'm so curious about avocados from Mexico. Yeah. And their campaigns are working, to say the least. Like, people are continuing to buy more avocados. And in Mexico, they are expecting that in that Western state, that the land used for avocados will increase by 80% by 2050. So like they are ramping up production and getting like avocado trees planted. I mean, we've talked about this before with the Christmas tree article that like when you plant a tree, it doesn't just instantly start producing fruit. So they are like already in planning phases of like how to keep up with like the demand. So one interesting thing I saw when I was on that website, I didn't know this about picking avocados, but apparently when you harvest them, you know, like how if you know how almonds are harvested, you know, they go and they shake the trees and then they sweep the almonds from the ground. And maybe that's how some people think of avocados because the website said is it, it isn't as easy as shaking some branches. Instead, avocados pickers use a pull to pick the green fruit for quality control because it mandates that once an avocado touches the ground, it cannot be exported. And I thought that was so crazy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Probably so much waste. Hopefully it's not wasted. Hopefully one's off the ground or then like used locally that then are just not can be for export or whatever. Well, they also talked about how ones that don't pass the quality control measures are used to make guacamole. Oh, that makes total sense. Like if there's one Mm -hmm. thing our food system is good at doing, it is like finding uses for things. My last thing I want to talk about that I left this article thinking is all food has an impact. Like we see so many slam pieces on cattle. You see, you know, things about Brazil, deforestation for gold and palm oil. We see United States, you know, that like cattle are, are a primary driver, even though like we know that's not true. And like water uses like this got into how much water avocados use and it's not an insignificant amount. And it just left me thinking like you think that it's as simple as like I'm going to be plant based or I am going to give up this food or whatever it is to make an impact on the environment. It's like every food has an impact, whether it is environmentally, socially like this, like criminal, like the legal side of this or the, you know, not legal side of this, I guess is probably a better way to put it. Everything has an impact. Yeah, I love that you said that. It reminds me of one thing we talk about quite frequently, which is like, there isn't a food choice for everyone that makes all the markers of what like matters to you. One of our favorite sayings is actually from Valentine, who we interviewed this summer when we did our debunking series. She said, tell me what you care about most and I'll tell you how to shop. And I think that's what I just wish people like took that into more consideration that like maybe, you know, water conservation is really important to you. And so you're going to shop like with that in mind, but not everyone else needs to shop with that because someone else might care about just supporting us farmers and ranchers. And so they're going to shop with that. And like, there's so many reasons to choose one food over the other. And like you said, there's so many impacts that food has that I think just making a blanket statement and saying like, this is the best one shop this it, it just really doesn't cut it like it's pulling the wool over consumers eyes when you do that. The last note I'll make is I do think um, one thing, like if you hear this and you're kind of concerned or and you want to go to research or whatever, one thing that stood out to me is how important with avocados it probably is to eat in season. Um, so they talked about how avocados in the U.S., it 
the peak growing season is April to September. Um, so I don't know. There's a ton of like graphs you could Google that are like talking about eating in season, um, like shopping in season essentially. And so if this you know article does resonate with you and you do more research on it and you want to like make a you know a habit change for your family, I think eating in season would probably go a long way when it came to avocados. Yeah, I ended up down the rabbit hole of like knowing when an avocado is ripe because I feel like the avocados are just killer that you like they are either hard or not. And so this one mm-hmm. was like check the color. You want a darker color on the outside, not as green, and you want a slight mush to it, like softness. <laughs> not that's a selling point. And I was like, just okay. slightly mushy. You want just, it smushy. Like, it barely compresses. Not not Mas or menos. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for discovering this week with us. Um, We, again, hope you guys have a really great start to your New Year's and we will see you guys next week. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.